start with big news. Stormy Daniels, yes, that's Stormy Daniels, is coming to Pittsburgh in May. I assume that she's coming here to headline at Blush and not to become the new Pitt basketball coach. But I can also assume that the job will still be open by then if she wants to take it. Or maybe she'll just take the job at Louisville. Her biggest selling point there is that they won't have to spend so much on prostitutes for the recruiting parties anymore. She can just handle that part herself. I've seen Stormy's movies. Going one on five for her is no problem. The Steelers have said they're putting Le'Veon Bell's contract discussions on the back burner. Normally, whenever I hear Le'Veon associated with burning anything this time of year, I get a little bit nervous. That little old lady who roots for Loyola Chicago has her own bobblehead now. I wish it was made by the same people who made the Pirates bobbleheads. Like, remember the Tom Gorzolani bobblehead? The one that had its middle finger extended? See, if they did that, I'd buy that bobblehead and hold it up to my television screen during the Final Four whenever I saw one of those hideous Charles Barkley, Spike Lee, Sam Jackson commercials. Yeah, Chuck, I get it. It's a longhorn. Not funny. Speaking of pirate bobbleheads, cancel Jose Osuna bobblehead doll day at PNC Park. He's been demoted to minor league camp after leaving the team in spring training homers. That's the price of talent with the Pirates not being allowed to show it in Pittsburgh. We'll get to all those topics on the Mark Madden Show. I am Tim Benz from Breakfast with Benz at the Trib. I'm in for Mark for the next few days or until my voice gives out. A perfect time for me to get sick. I was exposed to baby germs over the weekend every time i get near a baby i get sick every time i'm 43 never had kids don't want kids and this is why i like kids they're fun at that age toddlers are funny they're easy to entertain lack of understanding of object permanence is a pretty easy gag that you can manipulate but when you play hey i got your nose and you pull away with a handful of baby boogers it kind of ruins the fun and you're the one that gets sick They're just a cesspool of illness and mucus, and my immune system is not built up for it. One cough from a baby, and it's like inserting me into the second hour of the movie Outbreak. But anyway, I plunder on in place of Mark. You will hear from Mark later this hour. He joined me on the Breakfast with Ben's podcast, as he always does for the Trib Live site. You can hear Madden Monday every Monday morning. Get it on my Twitter feed, at Tim Ben's PGH, sponsored by the aforementioned Blush Drummond's Club and Sports Bar, 9th Street downtown, featuring future First Lady Stormy Daniels. May the 2nd and 3rd. The next week at Blush, the 9th and 10th, Sister Jean from Loyola of Chicago, and at this point, I'm not sure who the bigger draw is. We start, though, with Sidney Crosby. Mike Lang at 435 or thereabouts, play-by-play voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and plenty to talk about regarding Sid. I wrote about him for the trip today, and I've got some really bad news for the rest of the National Hockey League. Sidney Crosby is starting to do Sidney Crosby things. Sidney Crosby is scoring Sidney Crosby kind of goals, and they're coming at big times in games. He's scored three goals in the last three games, and each one looks like a Sidney Crosby kind of effort. And that's good because the Penguins need that from Sid right now. There really hasn't been much to complain about regarding Crosby this season. He's, what, ninth in points with 83, uh, eighth in assists with 57, played in every game, and entering Sunday, he was 10th in average ice time, second in faceoff wins total, Plus, he had 38 takeaways, which put him on pace for his best total since 2013-14. There's a lot of good there. However, he's not scoring goals at the rate we're used to seeing. He had 44 last year to lead the league, 26 so far this year, 
entering Sunday that was good for 41st in the league. I should say coming out of Sunday, actually. His 11.3 shooting percentage as of Sunday would be a career low in a full season. Over the first nine games in March, he only scored twice. Now that all appears to be changing. Crosby has scored a goal in each of his last three games. And it's not just the puck is going in the net. It's how and when Crosby is making that happen. He's doing it in Crosby fashion, and the goals are coming at crucial moments. Against Montreal Wednesday, Crosby deposits that now famous double swat in the air goal past Carey Price to tie the game. The Penguins go on to win 5-3. to three. That was right after DeSmith had given up that fluke goal to allow the game to be tied at well, I take that back. The Gideons took the lead 3-2 to two at that point and then Sid tied it by swatting it out of the air. Then they go on to win 5-3. to three. Minutes into Friday's game against New Jersey, Crosby got the Penguins on the board initially with that patented kick-the-puck-to-himself move that he likes to pull off. No one does it better, and he did it there too. And then in the third period against the Flyers on Sunday, Crosby scored a prototypical Crosby kind of goal. One hand on the stick, protecting the puck on his backhand with that enormous backside. Warding off Sean Couturier, driving through the legs, creating shooting space with a couple of choppy stick-handling moves that he does so well. He gets Shane Gostisbehere down to the ice, then he elevates a wrist shot over him beyond goaltender Peter Morazic. It won't go down as one of Crosby's top 20 goals, yet it summed up what went into the other 407 that he scored. It's everything that Crosby has put into every one of his goals, summed up in that one. Here's what Mike Sullivan said about Sid after the game. I think he's the hardest player to get the puck away from in the league when he has it. He protects it as well as anyone. And, um, you know, he, the, the goal he got tonight in the, in the third period is, uh, is an indication of how difficult he is to, to check or defend when, when he has the puck in, in space. And, uh, you know, we're seeing that more and more from Sid. I think he's, uh, he's just one of those elite players. I think he, he elevates his game when the stakes are high. That's when he's at his best. And I think that's why he's one of the most accomplished players ever to play. And then Crosby wasn't done firing that tape-to-tape pass to Brian Rust in front of a wide-open net to win the game in overtime 5-4. And with Crosby going in the goal department now, that could cancel some of the, the defensive issues that are challenging the Penguins as we move forward in the rest of the season. A hot streak from 87 is a great eraser for a lot of negatives. And unfortunately, a significant amount of erasing needs to be done. So... You tell me, what do you think of Crosby's increased goal production of late if he carries it forward? Is it enough to offset some of the other Penguin problems? 412-333-9939. I've been of the opinion that the Penguins are offensively gifted enough that they have to win more 4-3 to three or 5-4 to four games than the average Bear in the playoffs, than the average NHL team in the playoffs, they could do that, but only if Crosby became more of a goal-scoring element, and he is on pace to do that now. So what do you think? Is he enough of an eraser in that regard? Again, 412-333-9939. Because some of the things that are wrong with the Penguins simply may not be fixed before the playoffs. Shot suppression has been an issue of late. The Penguins have averaged 33.6 shots against over the last six games. That'd be sixth worst if you projected that average over the course of this season. As Mike Sullivan said after the 45-shot-against performance from the Flyers, it seems like every shot that the other team is taking is getting to the net. The shot clock, in, in some instances, can be deceiving, not always. You know, it, it is an indication of where the game's being played uh, because you obviously have to, you know, you've got to be in the offensive zone to, to, to shoot the puck. 
So I, I do think it's that. I think Philly's a team that they shoot the puck a lot. Um, I don't think we did as good a job getting in shot lanes, and, and I think that's an area of our game where uh, you know we, we haven't been as good at, at, at getting in shot lanes and making it hard for teams to get pucks to the net. Um, it seems like every shot they're taking is getting to the net. And, and so that's an area where I know we have to improve, we have to get better, and that's a mindset. Yeah, it's also no Ian Cole. That's also what it is, no Ian Cole. They're missing him in this regard big time. Plus, Marc-Andre Fleury in Vegas and Matt Murray playing through a season that's been plagued by injury and the loss of his father. The goaltending may just not be as pinpoint as it has been the last two seasons. As a team, Pittsburgh right now is 24th in save percentage. The penalty kill is below average, 17th in percentage at 80.3, and 48 power play goals against is 11th most in the National Hockey League. I think Murray will get better. I think he'll find his playoff form. We're all fretting about his glove hand again, but we're fretting about his glove hand before he got hurt heading into the playoffs last year, and even during the playoffs last year, and all he did was win a second consecutive Stanley Cup. I think Murray will improve. The shot suppression? I don't know. I don't know if that gets better. The penalty kill? I don't think this penalty kill is anything better than a middle-of-the-pack unit, which means it's a lower-tier playoff unit. So to answer my own question... Yes, I think the Penguins will get better goaltending out of Murray as time rolls on. No, I don't think the shots allowed or the PK will improve all that much. I mean, everything gets tighter in the playoffs. We know that. But, you know, uh, percentage-wise, what the Penguins give up versus what the opponent gives up, I still see shot suppression being a big-time problem for the Penguins in the postseason. How about you? You tell me. Which of these problems currently that are facing the Penguins are going to be constant enough that they could get in their way as they move forward in a quest for a third Stanley Cup? Are these all blips? Are these, I don't know, nothing but things that are fleeting that will go away and the Penguins just throw on a switch? See, like, for instance, even going back to Crosby, I don't think he just threw on a switch. That's almost insulting to Crosby to suggest, what, he hasn't been trying to score? I mean, like we just pointed out, his shooting percentage has been really low by his standards. The puck's going in now. He's always been trying to score. He hasn't just thrown a switch. And I don't think the Penguins as a team can do that when they go in the playoffs when we're talking about their defense. Their defense needs to get better. I don't know if it can, which means the goaltending better be better. I think it will. The defensive stuff, though, I don't think that's going away in front of the goaltender. You tell me what you think. 412-333-9939. We take Penguin calls when we come back. Also, college basketball calls. The latest on a quest for a Pitt basketball coach. And it got even worse over the weekend. Tell you what I mean when we come back. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. All hail Ben. All hail Mark Madden. I think that says a lot about my integrity. I love it. I think it's great. Achtung, baby. The X at 105.9. Looking to see if the Pirates box score from... Spring training has come in yet for today. I want to see if Francisco Cervelli hit another home run. Maybe they'll send him down to minor league camp, too. You hit enough homers, we'll take care of you. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden. You're going to hear from Mark in just a few moments, actually. He was on my podcast, as he always is, on Mondays. And as I fill in for Mark whenever I can, on Mondays we drop in that podcast for you to hear so you can get Mark during his program here on 105.9 The X. Said I get some pit basketball thoughts. I will in just a little bit, but we open up talking hockey uh, if you missed the opening of the show, I'll re-engage the question here 
Are you of the opinion that increased goal scoring from Sidney Crosby and offense in general is enough to overcome the defensive deficiencies that still exist with the Penguins. I think Matt Murray in goal will work himself out. The goaltending will get better. The defensive play in front of him, I'm worried about. I think the Penguins are going to have to score to win more than the average team in the playoffs, and that hasn't been a problem for them in the past couple years. It might be more of a challenge this year, but I think that's the approach they're going to have to take. George calling from the car. Hi, George. You're on 105.9 The X. Hi, Tim. How you doing? I want to make a comment about the shot blocking. I'm okay right now with them not blocking a lot of shots here as we get closer to the end of the season. If I remember right, wasn't it last year Gino went down and blocked his shot? We lost him for several weeks with a shoulder injury? Yeah, I mean, that's always the yin and yang of going down to block a shot as you expose yourself to injury. That's true. But I would also suggest that the reason they're not shot blocking as much now, George, isn't as much about a mentality of we don't want to do it. It's because the guys that they have just don't do it as readily or as well. Like Ian Cole is gone. Ron Hainsey is gone. Nick Benino is gone. They're, they don't play for the Penguins anymore. And, you know, other guys that do it well on the pens have either been hurt themselves or aren't getting a ton of ice time. Guys like Carter Rowney is a shot blocker. Now, I've seen a ton a ton of Tom Kunakel. He's a shot blocker. So, um, Derek Broussard, who's taken over the third-line center role for Nick Benino, is not a shot-blocking kind of center. So, they're just not doing it as much. I don't think it's as much about mentality, like saving yourself on purpose for the playoffs or anything. Is Is that your belief, that they're doing that because they're trying to avoid injury on purpose? Well, I don't know if it's so much on purpose or just in my style. Like I said, as you said, some of those players we have. You know, I remember the players last year, Phil Kessel didn't throw a check probably all year, but once the playoffs started, then we saw him taking the body a little more and getting down in front of shots. So I'm not too worried about it until the playoffs start, and then we'll see where it goes from there. I appreciate the call, but that's exactly counter to what Mike Sullivan just said in that last soundbite. He said it's a mentality. In other words, the mentality that you're talking about is let's be careful with ourselves until the playoffs start. That's counter to what the coach is saying, who said that they need to do it more right now. And I agree with the general opinion that the regular season isn't very important to this team based on how it performs in the playoffs. But one thing that is more important this year than playoffs past is I think they're disproportionately better at home than they are on the road. In previous seasons, I wouldn't have cared all that much about them getting a Game 7 on the road as they've shown like last year against the Capitals. Um, you know, they managed to win games in six as opposed to seven so they haven't forced themselves to have a game seven in the previous season this year the way they played on the road uh, i think it's disproportionately worse so maybe the regular season does matter a bit more towards the end so they can get home ice in a certain series 412-333-9939 can't believe this but what's pick gonna get to here O of six O of seven on their choices for college basketball coaches Dan Hurley said no. We know that. He probably didn't need the pitch of the grass isn't always greener on the other side. I'm sure he's well aware. But he's now jumping from a plush little toddy lawn in Rhode Island to a nasty burned-out patch in Connecticut. But to him, that's still apparently better than what the vast desert is like here in Pittsburgh. UConn announced the hiring of Hurley on Thursday. He leaves the Rhode Island job after taking the Rams to two straight NCAA tournaments. So we know Hurley finally chose stores over Kingston and Oakland. What we don't know yet is exactly why. Apparently the reason isn't money, because money was more in favor of Pitt. Here, listen to uh, Bill Koch. He's a guy that writes for the Providence Journal. He covered this whole coaching situation with Dan Hurley. And this is what he said about the vast amount of money 
that Pitt dangled in front of Dan Hurley to get him to come there instead of going to stores and coach Connecticut. Pitt made Dan a really good offer, uh, well in excess of $3 million a year. Um, you know, charter flights for everything, including recruiting, all games. Uh, he was very impressed with, with what Pitt had to say. Uh, there are a couple things working against them. The first is obviously proximity. Um, you know, Dan is a New Jersey guy. His parents still live in Jersey City. Uh, coaching at UConn, his, his mother and father can still get there. Now, I went on to ask Bill when he's talking about how significant the price was. I said, was it in excess of the $3.2 million that Georgia got Tom Crean for? And he said, well, in excess. Now, some numbers have leaked out over the course of the weekend about Dan Hurley's contract with UConn. The initial report was 2.75 for the first year, but the average of the deal is 3.1 over 6. We don't know exactly how many years Pitt offered at $3 million per year. And maybe with UConn's budget harangues that they're going through, they had to pay him low now and then bump the pay later to get it above or meeting what Pitt's price would be. So, like I said, the devil's kind of in the details there about the finances. But the bottom line is... He thinks it's going to be easier to rebuild UConn in stores despite their many, many problems, and he's right. This is a pit team that's basically entering the ACC as an expansion club, and they don't get to pull Marc-Andre Fleury to run point guard. They don't get James Neal on the wing. You know, They don't get William Carlson as their basketball center. It doesn't work that way. They're going to be an expansion team in the ACC next year, and that is a daunting task. Here's a little bit more from Koch. I know it wasn't very long ago that, that Jamie Dixon had that program in pretty good shape, uh, but that was in the Big East. And, and I think the ACC might have changed things from the perspective that you know, in any given year, even if Pittsburgh has a great year, uh, they still figure to be struggling to overcome Duke and North Carolina and Louisville and Syracuse and Virginia and Notre Dame. It's a, it's a very, very different calculus in terms of coaching in the ACC. Yeah, that's a really good podcast. You can listen to it over at Trib Live on the Breakfast with Ben's page. You got real in-depth there, real good interview. But this got augmented over the weekend when it sounds like, well, not sounds like, the guy himself admitted it, this Nate Oates who coaches for Buffalo admitted that his agent did talk to Pitt, but in his words, there's nothing going on there. Now, I don't know if this is a case of Pitt said to him, well, we'll offer you $2 million, or we'll offer you uh, even $3 million, two and a half. The whole contract this guy just got, he got extended, I think, during the MAC tournament, and his whole contract is $3 million. Now, Pitt can come to him and say, we're going to give you $3 million a year. But he still doesn't want to do it because he's got just about everybody coming back from a team that won the MAC last year, and whatever they're going to pay at Pitt this year, he thinks he's going to be run out in three years anyway. So he'd rather coach and perform and win in the MAC than come to Pitt and get his brains beat in in the ACC. You know, Mark Schmidt, even the guy formerly at RMU, who is now at St. Bonaventure, like he would have jumped at this job five years ago, but now he wants to play the waiting game and see if he can get the Louisville job, or excuse me, the uh, Xavier job first. So this is, it doesn't matter how much money they have, they just can't buy anybody to Pittsburgh. It's so bad they can't buy people to this situation. That's how screwed up it's actually gotten. 
This isn't a money thing. This isn't a nutting thing like them being cheap. They can't buy the talent to come here now. That's how bad it is. 412-333-9939. All right, when we come back, Mark Madden, we talk about this topic, the Penguins, the Steelers, and more. He'll join us next. Mark off for the next couple days. Tim Ben's in, but I talked to Mark before he left for Vegas. That's coming up next here on 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. It is Stan the Man Gable Gravitas. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing good. The X at 105.9. I'm looking at this photo of Albert Bell, the ex-Major League Baseball star. He was arrested for DUI extreme DUI, and indecent exposure. I guess he pulled out his corked bat. Hey, look, there's Super Bowls in it. But you know what the mugshot looks like? I I swear on my life, the first thing I thought when I saw this was Kenan Thompson got arrested as his neighbor Willie character. That's exactly what I thought this was. If you know the Keenan, you know when he comes out weekend update and he does Michael Shea's neighbor Willie? Look, that's who it is. Do a split screen. Tell me I'm wrong. All right, Mark Madden was on my usual Madden Monday podcast over at Trib Live. As always, whenever I'm in for Mark and we get a chance to get Mark on during the show, we give you Mark on his own show. So here he is. All right, Mark. So Penguins win against the Flyers season sweep. I appreciate what you said earlier today that there should have been a statue erected of Mike Terrian for doing that against the Flyers over eight games. But even in the new format, not bad to see the orange and black go down every time. Uh, yeah, it's worth noting the Penguins scored five goals in each of the four wins over the Flyers this year. And boy, you'd hate to see him have to do that in the playoffs against anybody. The Penguins got a batten down the hatches defensively, uh, get a forward on the right side of the puck earlier because the number of odd man breaks they conceded the Flyers today, especially in the first period, was downright frightening. But a win is a win is a win. And like an NHL scout told me last week, what the Penguins really want is for the playoffs to start tomorrow. Uh, that explains a lot of the sloppiness, a lot of the uninspired play. Uh, they're just over this regular season crap. It's time to get on to the meaningful games. Mark, I want to amplify the points you just made there about the Penguin defense insofar as 45 shots allowed today against the Flyers. They've averaged 33.6 over the last six games. That'd be sixth worst uh, based on a whole season here this year in the National Hockey League. Penalty kill has been below average throughout the course of the season. And uh, just in general, the goaltending hasn't been quite as good as it was last year when Matt Murray was less banged up, didn't have to deal with his personal tragedy, and uh, had Marc-Andre Fleury as a backup. But I think a lot of those things that I wrote about in the Trib for Monday can be erased if Sidney Crosby is starting to do Sidney Crosby-type things in the last three games. He sure has. Yes, yeah, it has a goal and assist in each of the last three games. And uh, he's had a play that borders on the spectacular uh, quite often in that span. Uh, today, that uh, goal where he held off pretty much the whole Flyers team on route to scoring uh, just seconds into the third period to break a uh, 3-3 tie at the time. Then in overtime, he sets up Brian Rush for a, a fairly easy tip-in to decide the game. And uh, I have said that no matter what has to be done to get Sidney Crosby going, whether it's give him better line mates than he's had recently, uh, whatever the means, it's important that he is on full boil uh, when the playoffs start because 
the last two seasons, the Penguins have won the Stanley Cup, and Sidney Crosby has won the playoff MVP, and I think that's all the people need to know. I think Gensel is fine on Crosby's left. I'd rather see Hornquist than Rust on Crosby's right. We have seen Hornquist there uh, for a number of shifts these last two games. I hope that's what it settles to, but what a great game-winning goal today by Brian Rust, who, who is a good enough player, skater, four-checker to play with Crosby. He's just not a good enough finisher. That uh, nice tip to decide today's game aside. Brian Rust manufactures so many chances with his skating. If he could finish, they'd build a statue of him outside <laughs> PPG Paints Arena, but that's just not his gig, and that's not a knock. He is what he is. He does what he does. He's a real good third liner, but I'd rather see Hornquist on the Crosby line. Back to Sid for a second, Mark. None of this is to suggest that he's had a subpar year. It's just been subpar in terms of goal scoring. He won the Rocket Richard last year, and this year he's 46th overall when it comes to putting the puck in the net. And you look at some of the other numbers, face-off wins, takeaways, assists, point totals. I mean, his point totals, he's one behind Taylor Hall. He's tied with Ovechkin. So he's had a good year. It's just it hasn't manifested in terms of shots going in. And beyond the line mates, Mark, you see anything that's preventing that? I know his shooting percentage is on track to be the lowest since his return from concussion. Yeah, just uh, a little bad luck in terms of finishing. Line mates not finishing off his work. He's not far off his normal pace because he's been very consistent from year to year throughout his career. I think more than anything, I'd like to see him have had a few more goals this season, but he's got three in three games, one in each of the last three, so I think he's catching up a bit in that regard, and as I'm sure we can agree, he's doing it at just the right time. Mark, you will be in fabulous Las Vegas. By the time you come back, how many more people will have turned down the pit job, do you think? Tim, I would say five. Maybe. And, and maybe more. Probably more. I don't know what they're going to do there. I mean, now they're in the horrible PR state of whoever they get is going to be looked at as settling. And, and really... If you backtrack to the very beginning of this mess, the problem is that Heather like fired Kevin Stallings to placate the big money boosters who have way too much influence on Pitt Athletics without having a plan in place for succession, let alone a man in place to take the Pitt job. Uh, I, I would think it's been shown time and again, not just by Pitt in this instance, but uh, by so many sports teams in, in, in different leagues and pro, college, you name it. Don't fire unless you know who you're going to hire. Even the Penguins uh, had a problem with that when they fired uh, Dan Bilesma right. and didn't have a clear pick to succeed him, and they settled for Mike Johnston, who dragged things down for the best part of a year and a half. But then, you know, they had Mike Sullivan, who they did target in the offseason after the first year that Johnston had mangled. So right there, it's the microcosm. When the Penguins didn't have it figured, they were in trouble. When they did have it figured and made yet another change, things have blossomed since then. Mark, they're getting into this dangerous territory to follow up on your point of not only looking like they're settling, but they're also potentially going to be bypassed for teams that are not in Power 5 conferences. I mean, like for instance, okay, it's one thing if Danny Hurley stays in New England to try to rebuild what was the giant that was UConn. Uh, okay, I get it. Even if it was for $500,000 less per year. But now you're talking about the guy at St. Bonaventure, a former RMU guy in Mark Schmidt saying, I don't know about Pitt. I might wait on Xavier. 
And I imagine Porter Moser is thinking the same thing. The guy who just got uh, Loyola Chicago to the Final Four, they're looking like they're second tier, even though they're in a premier conference. I don't know why that guy would leave Loyola to go to Pitt. Is that even being considered by him? Um, not yet. I mean, I, I, it won't be. It won't be. That's ridiculous. Why would you leave there to go to Pitt after you got your team to the Final Four? I don't know so if he can. I don't know money. if he can do what he can do with his recruiting at an ACC school. I mean, I love watching that team play. They're fantastic to watch. But you get five star recruits. I don't know if they're, you know. I should say Power Five recruits. I don't know if you get them to play that systematically together on offense. Yeah, but that's another situation of the, of the Pitt dopes just dreaming, like they were talking about the guy from Washington. Uh, last Mike Hopkins. Week. That was that was yeah. that was a blatant ploy to get a client more money by his agent. That's it. Yeah, and I think Pitt's going to be victimized by that again. Tim, I don't know why anybody would take that job. And, and as far as the guy from St. Bonaventure goes, you know, him waiting to see what Xavier decides, even though he has no hope whatsoever to get the Xavier job. I mean, that that resume isn't good enough for Pitt, let alone Xavier. Hell, it's barely good enough for St. Bonaventure's. Uh, you know, Mark Schmidt with a. I believe eight losing seasons in 17 years of coaching Division One basketball. Um, I don't know who they're going to get, and Tim, I don't even know who they're going to have to play. I, I really do believe they're going to have to give minutes to walk-ons next year just to get through the season. It is indeed a stink sandwich, and I think Heather Light has to take the biggest bite. I'm tired of uh, blaming Scott Barnes for having hired Stallings. Everything that's happened bad under Heather Light's watch has just exacerbated a really horrible situation. I still say Musselman's the route to go there. The Nevada coach, I mean, he recruits mercenaries who are transfers. He is a mercenary himself. I could see him coming here for more money and trying to employ the same tactics of getting awful situations fixed quickly and then worrying about recruiting on the back end, doing it through transfers. I think that's the way to go. Tim, I totally agree, but who knows what the frig they're going to decide now. I mean, I can't imagine what's being said in the athletic board meetings, and what Heather like is thinking in her private moments. Finally, Mark, let's talk some football. Perhaps a little shot across the bow, do you think, from Kevin Colbert at Le'Veon Bell saying that they're going to put the contract discussions on hold until potentially after even the draft. I wonder if that's him suggesting, Le'Veon, look, you get this deal done if you want to stay here, or we look to draft your replacement in the second or third round. I think they should do that. I think they should draft his replacement in the second round. And if Bell's not there for the first uh, week of the season, if he misses a game, rescind the offer and then he's screwed. You know what, Mark? This offseason, depending on what happens with him, even if they're hit with the franchise tag on him, they got what they were looking for in a starting safety. They got depth at inside linebacker. You sign an inside linebacker when it comes to the draft. You draft one, rather, in the first round. Yeah, if they get an inside linebacker in the first round that can play... I mean, not a Shazier, but a guy that can play. Right, yeah. That, then you would have to consider it to be a successful offseason. Uh, maybe uh, Bostic and the draft pick and Bince could, you know, do a three-way job on, on the two positions and inside backer in the Steelers 3-4. As far as Bell goes, I read a column, and Tim, I'll be honest, I forget where I read it. But uh, the Steelers can't complain about Bell now. Because they know he did last season, and Bell's already said he's going to do it again. You know, missed the OTAs, missed the minicamp, missed almost all the training camp. So if they're not happy with that, then they, they need to move on. They should have already moved on. Now, if it goes any further than that, if he does start missing games, 
that's a different story. But there's no way they should complain about the way this plays out because they've been told by Bell exactly what's going to happen. Well, to be honest with you, Mark, from what I got from Colbert's comments today at the owners' meeting, I think that's exactly what they're anticipating, and that's the tact that they're taking. In his quotes, he basically said, we know what the script is, it's up to him to sign it, we just have to adjust accordingly. Right, and that's fine. But but even the fans, the talk shows, you, me, you know, now we know. And it happened already, and he had a good season except for the first three weeks. Then again, if they win that Chicago game, which they lost while Bell was in a bit of a funk from not having shown up on time, at least that's the presumption, and a reasonable one. Who knows how the Steelers' season goes? Finally, Mark, as it relates to the catch rule, uh, I've read a lot about it. I feel like they're making progress in some areas. I think they're being smart and taking some complicated language out. But at the same time, they're also leaving some weird things in, like this, you could have had the action of a football move thing, but they're just going to continue to make this harder than it needs to be, won't they? Well, we had Bill Burr on the show this week, the uh, the comedian, who might be America's number one comedian right now. Yes. Here's how he summed up uh, that game against the Patriots. You know, the Steelers, even when you beat the Patriots, you didn't beat the Patriots. <laughs> Everybody knows that was a touchdown. Everybody knows it should have counted, but it didn't count, and you beat them, but you didn't beat them. And uh, I think that Obviously, it, it's nothing to do with uh, anything past coincidence, but it still makes you think that it happened that way in that game, and it ended up with that result, doesn't it? Yeah, it did. And you know what's funny, Mark? When I wrote something for the Trib last week about the catch rule, I was going back through old videos, like going back to 2015, 2014. It's amazing how many of them involved the Patriots being benefited, even beyond the ones we talked about this year. Go back through time. Go back through history. It's amazing. Well... The thing that the overcomplication of rules like this does, it makes people less interested. And I know there are people who will go in the opposite direction and say, hey, it's got us talking, it's on TV, it's on the radio, any publicity is good publicity. I disagree. Yes, this like when people say that about the BCS or you know now the new system, the playoff system for college. That's, that's not what that means. I disagree Tim, as well. Tim, I'll give you an example. I think that between the one-and-done rule, and not that I'm blaming the athletes. In fact, I think athletes should be able to go right from high school to the pros in all the sports if the pros want them. And that especially goes for basketball, where an 18-year-old kid has been proven again and again could play in the NBA. But uh, but college basketball, for me, just reached a saturation point with all the upsets, with all the phony-ass teams, with all the uh, weak teams that are supposed to be good but aren't really, and how many upsets? To me, there's so few good teams in college basketball. I haven't watched one game all the way through. I might watch the Final Four, and I might not. There are going to be a couple good teams in the Final Four. I don't care about this nun from Loyola, Chicago. I just don't care. But that's the big story of basketball, the NCAA uh, March Madness. We've got to the point where the game's not enough, and maybe that's by design because we've screwed it up so much in, in so many cases, so many sports, and we pay attention to some Goofy, lame story. And I'm sorry, that nun, that's a goofy, lame story. I just don't care at all. Yeah, that hit the saturation point for me after the first weekend. I was done. I was over that. Enough. All right, Mark, what's on tap for you in Las Vegas? Uh, Tim, too early to tell. No, actually, if anything, <laughs> if, if any, no, no, actually, this is one of the occasions where my, my life is planned out. Good. In much more regimented fashion. We got the Michael Schenker group for my third viewing of the tour. 
this Tuesday. Burton Cummings of the Guess Who on Saturday, the singer. Two Vegas Golden Knights games. One uh, as a freeloading member of the media and another in the stands with my uh, special guest, Mr. Friday Afternoon. And, and then a lot of gambling and, and restaurants and just all that crap. And I'm staying in a room with a jacuzzi, so... Uh, I feel old, but I'll feel a little less old by the time I leave there because I swear to God, I'll be in that thing for 90 minutes every day. Now, Mark, will you be watching or finding wherever that lounge act that performs Iron Maiden's Run to the Hills, as we discovered on uh, DVE this week? Will you be able to track them down? Uh, well, they're at the stratosphere. At least they were in that video, and that was a couple years ago. Uh, not my favorite point. Well, actually, I like it. It's a little out of the way. It's like in that no man's land between uh, downtown and the Strip. Oh, okay. All right. So now, my, one of my favorite steakhouses, though, the Golden Steer is right next to it. If I go to the Golden Steer, I might try to catch that lounge act. But, uh, but no, mostly I'll stick to my, my usual haunts. Mark, enjoy the time off. It's well-earned. We'll catch up with you next week. I don't think it is well-earned, Tim. I think my performance is slipping by the day. But, uh, but, but nonetheless, I'm going to go. All right, that's Mark Madden with me over at Trib Live on the Breakfast with Ben's podcast. And whenever I fill in for Mark, if uh, Mark wants to run on the show, we allow him to do so. And this was an easy way to make that happen as he flies out to fabulous Las Vegas. When we come back, we're going to talk about the nun from Loyola because Mark doesn't want to. No, actually, <laughs> there's something about this that I just... Did you see the bobblehead? Has anybody actually seen the... There's something about the bobblehead that needs to be discussed. Plus, I'm going to tell you why this Porter Moser, who runs Loyola of Chicago, that everybody wants for the pitch job now, why what he does there won't work here. I'll tell you what that is coming up before the top of the hour. I might get into the catch rule talk, too. That's next. Tim Benson for Mark Madden. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Go ahead. You can say it because it's true. It's damn true. Hey, Mark. Love the show. Thank you for making my day. Yeah. The X at 105.9. CW Electric Services, make the switch at CWElectricServices.com. Giving you the Mark Madden Show, Tim Ben's in for Mark. Just got a little bit of time here before the top of the hour. I'm going to talk some Steelers at 4 o'clock on the nose, so about 90 seconds from right now. I just got to finish the thought. We didn't get into this too much with Mark. He said he didn't want to talk about the nun from Loyola of Chicago, Sister Jean. She's become quite the lightning rod, hasn't she? Some people love her, can't get enough of her. Others say enough already. I'm more in the enough already camp, but okay, she's a nice, charming little story. If it, if I were a fan of Loyola, Chicago, I'd love her too. Uh, fine. Uh, the 47 cutaways per game is a little bit much. but So she's got her own bobblehead doll now, right? Have you noticed? Has anybody seen the bobblehead? She's not in a wheelchair. What? Did Loyola of Chicago getting to the Final Four give her the power to walk? I mean, is that how special this run has become? She can walk again now. I thought part of the charm, I thought part of the allure of the whole story is, here's this poor little old bitty who can't even walk on her own that's so dedicated to her team that she's willing to get wheeled out out of the court every game to watch them. I thought that was part of the allure. So what? We have to make everybody feel so warm and cozy that we're going to suggest that she can still stand? Why not have her dunk? Seriously, why not have her at the rim reverse jamming? Or like finishing off one of those backdoor reverse layups that Loyola of Chicago executes so well. What, we're going to change reality now just to make everybody feel good about themselves? Well, put her in the wheelchair. Make it real life. 
She's smiling in the wheelchair 24-7. It's not like it's a sad thing. She's 98, for God's sakes. <laughs> what, what is the purpose of that? It's the first thing I know. It's the only thing I noticed. I'm like, where's the wheelchair? Seriously, like, put her up there cutting down the nets herself then. Like climbing up the ladder. Put her on a Roomba that levitates or something. I don't know. But why are we changing the reality of the situation? I just don't get it. The other thing about them real quick, Porter Moser, the coach from uh, Loyola, everybody's saying that Pitt should get him now, right? There's no way in hell he gets five, three, four, five-star guys that are ACC talent to do what they're doing there. I, I love watching Loyola of Chicago. I think they're fun. They are everything we think basketball should be. Constant motion on offense. Creativity at the rim. Uh, passing. Backdoor cuts. Big guys who can come out and work down low. Guys who are on the perimeter that can drive and shoot threes. They're everything right with basketball. Everything. It just couldn't happen here. Because you're going to recruit like four-star guys, five-star guys to play in the ACC. They're not going to... They're going to want to break down one-on-one. They're going to want to be Nevada, the team that they beat, which is also the guy that I think Pitt should get, that Musselman guy, because he gets transfers and lots of them. And that's what you need right now to rebuild this program in a hurry, guys who can play right now. Get them so they can at least be competitive, be like a four, five-win team in the ACC, and then backfill the roster in a more conventional way thereafter. That's how you do it. 412-333-9939. When we come back, Le'Veon Bell. His contract talks are on the back burner now. We'll talk about that. Also, we get into the Morgan Burnett signing and why I told you so. That's coming up next. 30 seconds here on 105.9 The X.